With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. If you haven't played Party Power Fantasy yet, you're missing out. But on the upside, if you haven't played it yet, you qualify for a risk-free first go. Get up to £20 back as cash when you play Paddy Power Fantasy. And because every NFL game day is a season in itself, you don't have to wait to find out if you've won. Paddy Power Fantasy. Hate waiting, love winning. New customer offer. Min £5, max £20 refund. T's and C's apply. Paddy Power Fantasy rules apply. 18 plus begumbleware.org. Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombe Show presented by Paddy Power Fantasy. Happy Monday, everybody. Good to have you with us. Nikki Bandini joining us imminently to get into another storming performance from Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. The Pats getting it done, winning ugly against the Eagles. What about Kirk Cousins? I've been on that Cousins bandwagon for a few weeks now, gang. And Cousins with the comeback win of the season surely uh you're starting to believe now that you can get there with uh, cousins lots of other stories to get into from week 11 in the nfl plus ben isaac will be dropping by a little bit later on desperately sad news for alabama fans for nfl fans for football fans and certainly those teams right at the top of the draft pecking order that uh tua tagovailoa the alabama quarterback who was widely considered to go number one overall in the 2020 draft has dislocated his hip. He is out for the season, possibly longer. What on earth does that mean for the draft picture and for his future career in the NFL? Ben Isaacs will drop by to get into all of that. But let's get this show on the road and welcome the terrific Nikki Bandini. So, Nikki, here's the thing. You and I were in a radio studio last night uh, on air at six o'clock. Couldn't believe our luck that the Ravens-Texans was on at six o'clock and hadn't been flexed to a, to a later spot. You had the tough gig of concentrating on that particular game, which I know you were devastated about when uh, I first asked you to, to, to handle it. But in the end, it turns out to be an absolute blowout. So what went wrong for the Texans and what went so right for the Ravens? Well, I guess it went wrong right from the start with a pass interference not called um, on Marlon Humphrey on... Uh... Uh, on DeAndre Hopkins in the end zone, a really sort of blatant uh, pass interference that gets challenged, doesn't get overturned, which, you know, if it's overturned, either gives uh, the Texans the ball at the one-yard line, and if it's not, if it doesn't happen, then DeAndre Hopkins very possibly scores the first touchdown of this game, and almost certainly, frankly, scores the first touchdown of this game. So the game got off to a bad start um, for the Texans with with an officiating decision, but really, it's hard to dwell on that too much because of everything that came thereafter in which they just simply got blown out. A um, line in particular, which is, is something that we pointed to as a yeah. fast improving unit and providing they were back to full strength on the, on the show on Friday, Paul Nicholson was in 
in the house. And I was saying, I fancy the Texans if they had a, a full strength offensive line, which they did. And I couldn't believe how easily the Ravens took, took care of it. Now I know that there were a couple of these and you pointed this out, uh, watching the game closely that some of the sacks were on Watson, but nevertheless, six more sacks uh, for Deshaun Watson. And we know what happens when Watson goes down that, that readily. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the starting offensive line um, with Laramie Tunsil back at left tackle and Titus Hadfield at right tackle, they'd played 176 snaps together before this season and they'd given up two sacks. And as you said, six in this game. So um there's this sort of layers to that. I think Watson was holding on to the ball too long. I think you also have to look around and give some tremendous credit to the Ravens' defense. I think yeah. that when you look at the, the moves they made this season with that secondary, adding Marcus Peters and, and I suppose not a move, but getting Jimmy Smith back from injury, the secondary yeah. has really come on. And I think that it's made a big difference to the sacks as well because it means um, whilst they haven't got as great a sort of um, set of pass rushes as they've had in the past, if you can get good coverage downfield, then you create opportunities for that blitz-heavy approach that they take. So um, there's layers to to that, um, but I do think that um, we should acknowledge how well Baltimore's defense played because it's going to be a lot to talk about and, and, and there should be with Lamar Jackson and, and the fact that this win probably um, sort of takes him another step towards that, that MVP conversation. Yeah, which sure. Is, because the two of them were kind of, as we identified, neck and neck in many yeah. instances. Yeah, but they're not the only ones, right? Russell Wilson's in that conversation as well. But um, but certainly Jackson, um, with a performance like this, uh, takes a big step towards it. But, um, you know, I, I was, uh, you know, I mean, some of the, uh, the, the numbers on this, um, you know, game from a, a Houston point of view are absolutely extraordinary. I mean, it's the biggest loss that... Um, Deshaun Watson has suffered in any game since high school. Um, <laughs> wow. He didn't have exactly, he never lost this big in, in, uh, in college. I mean, his 31, this, I've just pulled up the, the stat. In 31 regular season starts as a pro, he'd never lost by more than eight points. Um, and, uh, and the same true at Clemson. So not just the biggest, but the biggest by a very wide margin. Um, and he, and it was the first time in, in his NFL career, Watson, where he didn't score a touchdown in the start mm-hmm. as well. So, you know, they, 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 you know, Without question, we need to sort of focus on how brilliant Lamar Jackson is. But I do think that what's most sort of perhaps great for Baltimore, ominous for the rest of the AFC, is that the defense is is suddenly looking serious as well. I mean, this yeah. team suddenly looking like a really well-rounded um, contender. And I think uh, playing probably better than anyone in the league right now. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right to highlight that secondary. Definitely one of the, the strongest units uh, going, I think, and uh, the Marcus Peters uh, acquisition could uh, turn out to be an absolute inspired bit of business because he was almost an afterthought, really. When uh, yeah, you know, and, when and, he went and like you know, week one he got a pick six on Russell Wilson, like as soon as he'd arrived. So he's yeah. he's contributed from the moment he's got there. Yeah, the interesting thing as well was how straightforward it was for the Ravens, given the fact the Texans had come off a bye week, and that's uh, you know of obvious benefit to to any team typically, but particularly, you know, Bill O'Brien, who is a Belichick disciple, who seems to be very organized in, in that capacity to have his teams ready. Statistically, that bears out, but uh, completely, uh, completely dominated. So what does this mean, Nikki, in terms of not so much the seedings, because obviously that depends on divisional record and everything else, but in terms of the, the power rankings uh, in the AFC, are you putting Baltimore ahead of the Patriots now, given the fact that they won head-to-head? Are you putting them on a par or just behind? I, I think I'm putting them ahead. And it's because not only they just beat them, but also if if you had that matchup again next Sunday, I would take Baltimore to win it. I mean, I, my, my only hesitation with that is that Bill Belichick in general is a head coach that if he... Um, 
if he gets to coach against the same team twice, you think, well, he's going to find solutions. He's a coach who finds um, answers, who doesn't let himself uh, make the same mistakes twice. That's the only reason why I would consider favouring the Patriots over the Ravens in a head-to-head right now. It's a great point you make, Nicky, that if you all uh, coaches, of course, will attempt to adjust and realign the second time they play an opposition in the season. But if there is a coach in the NFL that is the, the master of that is Belichick, and you look at the way that the Ravens beat them, which is running down the gut of the Patriots. That is something that you can be certain if these two square off again in the playoffs. Belichick is going to have a plan uh, to combat taking out the number one edge of the opposition's offense has always been his modus operandi. Yeah. So uh, you can count on it for sure. It'd be fascinating if they do score off again in the championship game. Well, yeah. No, and of course, you know, it, it is relevant that the Ravens have beaten them because, yes, right now the Patriots still hold that one-game advantage. But the Patriots don't look untouchable at the moment. And if they lose again, the opportunity for the Ravens to get home field through the playoffs, I think, is really, really significant as well. So, yes, so. And the- look at their schedule as well. I mean, the Pats have got some tough games coming up. The <clears> Cowboys, the, the Texans, the Chiefs. Uh, the next three games. So yeah, they, yeah, three games they could certainly be tested, conceivably, uh, drop, uh, drop a couple of games there. So it could get interesting. Definitely. And, and I think that, um, the, uh, the, the, to a certain extent, I feel like the pressure is on the Patriots now much more than it's on the Ravens. I think that the Ravens have come from a position of such minimal expectations at the start of this season. We talked about it on the show last night. There was even talk that this could be John Harbaugh's last year in charge. There were people talking, speculating that he was in trouble. So I think that they have got this sort of on the rise feel about them. Whereas the Patriots, I don't know. I mean, this is where we come back to the power rankings part of it. I didn't think they looked great against the Eagles. Of course, they won, and that's that's all that matters in the end. Um, and it was on the road in Philadelphia. It's it's not necessarily easy, but um, I don't know. Against an, an, uh, an Eagles offense that they managed to subdue for most of the game, they failed to put it away. They failed to take it out of Philadelphia's reach. And if Nelson Aguilar hangs on to a pass in the back of the end zone, then maybe we've even got a different... Um, a different ending there, whereas for the Ravens this weekend, there was no chance for a different ending, really. It was it was just the most one-sided game almost the whole weekend. And the Ravens, uh, the, the Texans rather, roll onto Thursday night football, so a short week for them playing the Colts, which uh, could be absolutely decisive in terms of the AFC South. The Colts, uh, with Jacoby Brissett back winning uh, last night, so those two uh, locked right in, both at 6-4 and four in the AFC South, so uh, be... Uh, could, as I say, be a decider as far as that division is concerned. Let's move on to the Patriots-Eagles game next then, Nicky. And as you say, hardly a a thriller, certainly not a vintage performance from the Patriots. You wonder whether Belichick is fine with that as much as he can ever be fine with a reasonably abject performance in that, look, we didn't play well, but we won ugly. Uh, Certainly a lot of it was uh, being made of Brady's consternation at his own performance, which was absolutely below par. And Belichick calling out to him as Brady was leaving the field and calling after him and saying, look, good game, we won, you know, good game, and wanted to make a, a point of lifting up the, the head of his quarterback, which is extraordinary to see in many ways, given how much the pair of them have, have achieved and how much Brady's achieved. But Brady, unhappy with his performance, and you can understand why, Nicky. He had 14 incompletions in the first half. That's the most uh, he's ever had this entire career in a half of football. The offense still not in sync as he would like. And you can understand why to a degree, because Mo Sanu is still a new face there. And in Keel Harry, their uh, number one or rather first round draft pick has been out for eight games. He's just acclimatizing to the offense as well. And we know it takes time for Brady to trust receivers, whether they're rookies or accomplished veterans in 
at the NFL. So there is still a sneaky feeling that this offense will start to gel exactly when the time is right. When we get to week 15, week 16 and start rolling into the playoffs, they'll look like a, a very cohesive unit again defensively. They did the business limiting the Eagles to just 10 points, but it's certainly not at the moment anyway, uh, a, uh, a clear cut, a fluent Patriot side that, that we're seeing, is it? No, and I've, I've seen this sort of um, said before this season that there's a sense that Brady and Josh McDaniels just aren't quite seeing things um, the same way this season. It feels like the offense has sort of really leaned on um, smoke and mirrors to a certain extent, quite a lot of sort of misdirection, and, and perhaps Brady doesn't feel like they're going in um, in the direction that he feels be most effective. But it's it's really tricky to know and and you know we've done this so many times that i don't want to easily get drawn drawn down into it but anytime at this at this stage at this age that brady starts to look a bit more morsel you ask the question of oh is this is this sort of partly just him not being able to do what he used to do you have Um, to i'm with you completely that you know he's uh, shut the hages up so many times that it feels completely dangerous to go there and it's been done to death in many respects but i think you're right that particularly the way that the offense isn't isn't chiming which we saw quite a lot last season as well just in terms of his timing and his execution it was tangibly different to what we'd mm. seen before one of both things of course a fundamental uh, store uh, of his game and that seemed really off again last night i don't want to overreact to to one game but it's the the, the patriots games i've watched closely this season one of the connecting threads is is brady's lack of fluency with his receivers. Now, like I said earlier, there could be a lot of reasons for that, not least that it is an emerging collection of receivers. And we know that historically Brady likes to take time, likes to trust. And, and I wonder whether he, and some people are suggesting, Nikki, that he is frustrated with the lack of weapons that he's got, that even if Sanu comes good and Harry comes comes good, he still doesn't feel he's got enough uh, around it, particularly in the tight end position, I guess, as well. But you have to ask the question that you're right to. Is there something that is fundamentally different with Brady's uh, with Brady's output compared to what we've seen for most of his career. Yeah, I mean, there is, you know, the receivers issue is is a real issue, and you think that at a certain point this season he was throwing passes to Antonio Brown and Josh Gordon, both of whom are gone. I mean, Josh Gordon catching a couple of passes for for Seattle, um, yeah, uh, just the other day. So um, he uh, he's definitely lost some pieces. He hasn't got the familiarity of of Rob Gronkowski there to 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 save him. But um, do you reckon we'll but, see Gronk? Because there's, there's I mean, all this speculation. Do you think? But given what's happening, and they're going to make the playoffs, but let's say that it continues to misfire to the degree that that it has offensively. Do you think that that will? Ju- it's bound to heighten I, the calls for Gronk. I sort of, ref- I basically can't believe that um, that Brady hasn't texted him. You know what I mean? I can't <laughs> believe that the two of them haven't 100%. exchanged a message or two. Like, that just is is implausible. I think that they must have. Um, whether or not it can happen, I mean, first of all, the last the last time that I saw Gronkowski make a televised appearance, he was certainly a lot lighter than we're used to seeing, and he'd certainly shed some of that um, uh, sort of muscle that he would carry when he was playing. Um, the other thing which I've uh, seen picked up on in interviews is the fact that he's talked about using CBD oil um, during his uh, time away from the field, which is completely mm. legal, um, sort of byproduct of, of marijuana, but if um, but it's outside of the NFL's substance policy. So whether or not that would um, influence his ability to come back, whether or not he would have to be clear of that for a certain amount of time, I don't know how long it takes to be in the system. Um, these are sort of all what feel like little fiddly um, things, but things that just give me a little pause to uh, 
to thinking that he's coming back tomorrow. But And you think Vince McMahon has probably got a significantly <laughs> big payday for him to join the XFL. I still think that could happen. Well, I certainly wouldn't rule that out. Although at the same time, if your options were payday with Vince McMahon or win another Super Bowl with New England, it'd be pretty hard to say no to New England. I don't know. We're talking about Gronk here. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's no. a big... How many awards that we have with the XFL? We still don't even know the rules yet. So who knows? Maybe there are some <laughs> Gronk-friendly rules coming in. Um, I would cast a blind eye. <laughs> um, so who knows? Um, I, I don't. Uh, I certainly wouldn't count on him coming back this season. It wouldn't stun me if it happens because I think that far more outlandish things happen constantly in the NFL. And in, uh, um, yeah, I, I think uh, Gronk wanting to play football is is would be no big shock. But uh, I don't. Um, I don't expect it either. We are concentrating on an indifferent performance offensively from the Patriots, but another fine performance defensively again. And this is how this Patriots team is built, as we've been saying all season long. It is all, or at least significantly, about the D. They sat Carson Wentz five times. They forced a fumble. They were on song once again. And we highlighted the Ravens secondary as being one of the best units in the NFL. Clearly, a lot uh, a similar accolade can be attributed to the Patriots uh, secondary as well so uh defensively another impressive performance from them uh what does this mean for the eagles moving forwards nikki because with the cowboys win which uh, we'll talk about in a mo the eagles dropped to five and five now in the nfc so those two were neck and neck going into week 11 now there is daylight uh, as far as the cowboys are concerned so you, you kind of feel it's their division to lose and it's so competitive in terms of the wild card race that uh, does that mean the Eagles season is what's well, very much hanging in the balance, isn't it? Yeah, I mean they have they have a great um, closing stretch this season. So their final six games include two against um, the Giants, one against Miami, one against Washington, um, and uh, that you know that certainly looks appealing for a team that is better than all of those teams. Um, the uh, the sort of concern for me is well there's several concerns um lane johnson leaving this game with a head injury is a concern uh, all of the sacks came after he'd left um the eagles were 10 nothing up when he was on the field and, and they gained uh, i think a total of 21 yards in the next six drives so you are talking about a really important piece of that offensive line um and if he misses any amount of time that's that's definitely bad news for them um there's just this slightly sort of more troubling part of this story for me, which is just the sort of the relationship um, between Philadelphia as a city and Carson Wentz and then Carson Wentz and his receivers. All of these things at the moment feel a little bit not great. Um, obviously, uh, Nelson Aguilar has already been the subject of stories about drop passes this season. Of course, there was that great um, meme of the the, the guy on, on TV talking about catching a baby that had been thrown out of a, a window during a fire and, and sort of using it, this sort of this moment of genuine real-life heroism to take a dig at Aguilar dropping passes. But the Eagles receivers had dropped um, the second most passes in the league coming into this game and then Aguilar misses. Uh, what, I mean, a catch that looks harder than it should have been because part of the reason it's a hard catch is because he hasn't tracked the ball in the air well. Misses a catch at the back of the end zone on a really well-thrown pass by Wentz at the end of the game that could have taken this to overtime. Mm. Um but then before that, um, you know, it, it's sort of a, a, a sort of double, there's, there's a sort of, uh, a two-way situation here because yes, Wentz threw that really nice ball and, and it's dropped by Eckler, but actually prior to that, um, 
on the same drive. Wentz missed, I think, two consecutive open receivers that put him in that fourth and long to try and throw the ball to the back of the end zone as well. So there's this sort of, I don't know, this 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 mixed up feeling where the receivers haven't been doing a good enough job. But even Carson Wentz, I think, still carries, and maybe even more so in a week where you're playing the Patriots, still carries this sort of burden of not being Nick Foles in Philadelphia and, yeah. and everything that yeah. Nick Foles has achieved there. Which is funny because, of course, this week Nick Foles was carrying the burden of not being Gardner Minshew in Jacksonville. <laughs> right. Um, but I do think that... Um, um, I do think that there's just this slightly, I don't know if toxic is the right word, but certainly this slightly sort of fractious. Un- uneasy, fractious feeling to the whole place, which stems from the fact that, yes, the Eagles have this sort of nostalgic memory of another quarterback who won big games against the Patriots, by the way, mm-hmm. and who you know has a statue outside the stadium, um, and the one who's supposed to be the, the, you know, the franchise now, um, but hasn't quite ever had that moment for them. And I think the longer he goes without having that moment, and certainly if they were to miss the playoffs, the more that sense of Nick Foles' nostalgia is allowed to grow. A really, really good point. Let's, uh, speaking of franchise quarterbacks, move on to the Cardinals 49ers game, which was an absolute thriller and uh, I guess representative of much of uh, this Cardinals season in that they were ahead, they were surprising everybody, they were playing at times electrifying football and had a gallant a valiant defeat in the end to one of the best teams in the NFL. Both quarterbacks can walk away with their heads held high. Jimmy Garoppolo had arguably his best game as a 49 of four touchdowns on the day. And Kyler Murray did what Kyler Murray's been doing for most uh, of the season, an absolute playmaker. We were chatting about this yesterday, Nicky, weren't we? That the Cardinals, it's almost like a free hit this season. And they uh, relaxed and enjoying it. And after the first couple of weeks when everybody said, oh, I'm a bit disappointed with this whole Kingsbury Kyler Murray uh, revolution because it's all been rather uh, sedate and uh, one-dimensional. Well, of course, it was going to be early on. It was not going to explode with fireworks. Well, they might have done, but it was unlikely to explode with offensive fireworks week one, week two. But now we're starting to see uh, the real shape of the blueprint of what this Cardinals team can become. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that you could, I think if you hadn't seen this game, you could look at the Kyler Murray stat line and, and be underwhelmed by it. I mean, it's 24 of 33 for 150 yards on, through the air. Um, with two touchdowns and no interceptions, but that's a very low sort of per attempt average. He's not he's not throwing the ball downfield. I think that um, first of all, you need to add on to that that he also rushes eight times for six seven yards and a touchdown. Mm. Um, but I think that if you watch the game, you see a quarterback who is a constant threat, who is able to throw some absolutely beautiful balls downfield at certain points as well, which either didn't get caught um, or had a couple of of, of lost to pass interference opportunities. Um, I think that um, the the sort of the way in which he has gone from the first month of the season in which he was throwing far more interceptions to being so much smarter with the football has shown immediate growth. Um, and I think that honestly, watching this game uh, as a Cardinals fan, it felt very much like one the Cardinals could have won. As you said, ten point difference in the end, but that comes from uh, sort of six of those points coming from a, a last play of the game attempt to, to lateral the ball and move it quickly upfield that, that goes wrong and gets um, uh, recovered by the, the 49ers and brought back for a touchdown. So really this was a one-score game to the end. And uh, and and that's against an 8-1 and team. And I think that honestly, if the Cardinals were in even a different division this season, because the NFC West is so competitive, I don't think they'd be a playoff team, but I think they could be a lot closer to 500 than they are. Um and perhaps that's a good thing, you know, perhaps that even works out for Arizona because it means that you get to potentially add quite a high draft pick to what is already a good team. Um, well, a good team is devastating, but a team that's, that's, that's ahead of where its record, um, looks. Um, but it's interesting, uh, definitely to me to see Kyler Murray after the game 
seem genuinely cut up about it. Um, mm. You know, the team is nowhere near the playoffs. The playoffs are not a realistic sort of suggestion, but reports of him really taking sort of several minutes to be able to calm down and speak at his locker. And when he did speak saying, look, I'm, I'm used to winning. Like I, that's what he's done all through high school and through college. I'm used to winning. Um, and um, that is a of, good sign, isn't it? You, yeah. That is exactly what you want to be seeing from a rookie quarterback. Exactly. You sort of, the, the only thing you think as a fan is just don't let that get beaten out of you, Kyla. Like, you know, yeah. Keep that fury because perhaps that's something that Arizona haven't always had. Um, in terms of expectations and in terms of a leader who on the field who just absolutely thinks that you know his job is is to win games and i think that i think a team playing like this will win games um perhaps sooner rather than later i mean there's some there's some curious there's some curious stuff that will um need to be worked out in the off season and going forward i mean the, the disappearance of david johnson uh, this yeah. season is 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 really sort of um, troubling. And I think he's still got um, something like 17 million they're going to have to pay him next season, whether he's on the team or not. So, uh, What is going on there? Because, I mean, Kenny and Drake seems to be the, you know, the, the go-to guy now. I mean, what 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 do you put it down to? That, that As you say, the, the disappearance of one of the uh, elite players in his position a couple of years ago. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 really difficult to, to work it out. And I think that people... Um, in Arizona are, are as flummoxed as, as anyone else. You know, even the, um, the, the, the beat reporters who are at the, the, the practice field every day, if you speak to them or hear from them about what's going on there, there's, there's a lot of, um, I don't know, confusion, uh, lack of clarity about what exactly has happened. Is he still carrying some sort of injury and, and they're just not being honest about it? That's almost the most reassuring possibility because if it's just that he's 27 years old and he's already worn down the track on his tires so much that he can't run like he used to, that's, that's a pretty troubling scenario. He did, he did sort of work a lot, um, in the Bruce Arians years and, and the last, you know, and the time since Bruce Arians, he's, he's had a lot of time spent running into brick walls with no blocking for him up front. But this season, when you look at it and you see Kenyon Drake can run in this offense, Chase Edmonds can run in this offense, David Johnson has struggled to run when he's been on the field and now is barely even getting onto the field at all. It's, it's, um, it's a very perplexing situation. And, uh, as I say, it's almost like the best, the most optimistic, uh, take you can have um, looking at it is that he's more injured than we're hearing and the team is just looking after him because they know that this season isn't worth getting him hurt again. Yeah, okay, that make that would make sense. And as you say, would be, uh, as far as Cardinals fans are concerned, anyway, and football fans uh, around would hope that is what is going on because he's a hell of a player and it is uh, disappointing to see him not factoring very much. Now, let's get on to that Vikings comeback, 27-23 the final, but of course they were in a 20-point hole at half time and it was a really, really strong comeback from Kirk Cousins mentally because he was, uh, because he is a, a whipping boy for most fans of the NFL and even a lot of Vikings fans, I still think, are not buying him as the guy that's going to take them to the promised land. And that was very apparent as we were uh, scouting around social media, Nikki, at halftime uh, yesterday when the Vikings were in a real mess. Unsurprisingly, 99% of the tweets I could find about the game were laying into particularly Cousins to an extent, Mike Zimmer as well. Uh, and he came back swinging 29 to 35 over 300 yards, uh, masterminding, a uh, masterminding, I should say, one of uh, the great comebacks of the season. And the first team, Ollie, our producer, informs me since 2015, this is including the postseason, to come back and win when they're trading by such a deficit 
at half time. So he had his prime time win last week. He had a big comeback win this week. You know this is an absolutely loaded question, Nikki, because you know how I, I feel about Kirk <laughs> Cousins. But are people going to start to believe in him a little bit more now after this year? I think you. I think you might already believe, Nat. I think you might just be there. <laughs> I'm a Kirk believer. Um, Look, I mean, this was a, this was a great performance and perhaps even in terms of assessing him an important performance because what Denver did, especially early in this game was they took away Dalvin Cook. And I think that since Adam Phelan has, has been injured in particular, Dalvin Cook has, has been the offense. And I think in three games since Cook was injured, uh, um, sorry, since Phelan was injured, Cook had more than 200 receiving yards. That's not even counting his rushing yards, 200 receiving yards. He's been so, such an important part of the game everywhere. And, and, you know, by the end of this game, he had only 26 yards on the ground and, and a further, um, 30 or so, uh, through the air. So Denver took away the thing that isn't just Kirk Cousins. They took away his best, um, most reliable weapon and said, okay. I'm glad he was my go big pick in my fantasy column last week. (laughs) (laughs) My, my role continues. Um, and, and in the end he did. And, and perhaps it's not surprising that it took, um, a bit of time at the beginning of the game to, to adjust because Cook has been such a sort of fundamental part of everything. But, uh, but Cousins showed that he did. He, he managed to get the ball more to Stefan, Stefan Dixon we've seen recently. Um, used Kyle Rudolph, spread the ball around. Um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's an impressive performance. I mean, these are still the Denver Broncos. They're still a team that's only won three games this season. It's not the same as beating Baltimore or, or, or beating, uh, New England perhaps, but, um, but it's, it's unquestionably a, an encouraging sign if you're 20 nothing down at halftime and, and come back to win in a way that even though you can't say it was comfortable because of course it's a one score game and that means it's all on the line at the end. It didn't feel remarkably serene watching it in real time. It did feel like, um, once the comeback started, it almost just seemed inevitable somehow that they were going to, they were going to finish it. Yeah. Big time. And although, you know, props to Brandon Allen, the young Broncos quarterback who, um, who showed some real fight on that final drive, getting, uh, getting so close to getting it done and, uh, optimistic signs there. Uh, for Denver, still very early doors, of course, as to whether he is the answer to that uh, quarterback situation that has been the ironic issue for years. When ironic, because when you consider John Elway, one of the all-time great quarterbacks, yeah. is that the man in charge of making those decisions, and he can't seem to settle on on the right guy. Maybe they found him. Maybe they stumbled on him. It'll be uh, something, of course, Broncos fans will be looking at closely over the coming weeks. There's nothing else really to play for, but maybe, maybe Brandon Allen keeps playing like that. They have got uh, their starting. Uh, quarterback for next season. Let's uh, rattle through a couple of the others quickly, uh, Nikki. We um, referenced earlier on the Colts win, which means that Thursday night game against the Texans is going to be uh, significant in terms of the NFC East race because of the Eagles' defeat. The Cowboys win over the Lions, which was perhaps harder than it than it should have been, given the fact there was no Matt Stafford again for Detroit. Gives them a edge, as I say, in the NFC East. Race in the Bills. A lot of people thought that was going to be a bit of a trap game against uh, the Miami Dolphins. No problem for them. Uh, taking care of business pretty easily and uh, looking very good for a wild card berth in the AFC. And what about the Saints? Let's talk about them because the week before they had disappeared offensively against the Atlanta Falcons and uh, they came back absolutely on point against the Tampa Bay Bucks in a, in a shootout. We knew it would be. But uh, Sean Payton, Drew Brees, going to be a lot happier a week on week uh, with that performance, aren't they? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, so much that was encouraging here. Obviously, they got uh, on top early and, and never um, never let go of that lead. Um, Drew Brees is something a lot more like the Drew Brees we accept the, expect the player that um, we know he can be. And I think that whilst it is um, Jameis Winston and, and it's not the first time that we've seen him throw a multi-interception game, nevertheless, yeah. four interceptions from your defense um, tells its own story, shows that you have been... Um, Getting after the the ball and 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 making those reads downfield difficult. So it was a, a definitely an encouraging win for the Saints. And uh, um, yeah, I think they are. I don't think it's it's news. They've been there all season, but they are a front runner, if not the front runner in the AFC. And getting Kamara and the ground game going again a little bit more certainly than he's been noticeably absent really in terms of productivity over recent weeks. So that will be encouraging uh, for them again in terms of, of that balance. I want to wrap things up, Nikki, with the Panthers Falcons game. Uh, because the Falcons, as we said last week, took care to everybody's surprise of the New Orleans Saints. And again, I think uh, a real upset, I think it's fair to call it, certainly the manner in which they dispatched the Panthers 29-3. to So two things on this. Firstly, on the Atlanta side, Dan Quinn was one of those coaches that we thought was a lock to get the bullet at some point, if not during the season and certainly at the end of the season. But given the back-to-back performances that we've seen from Atlanta, is there a chance that his team could play themselves into a respectable end of the season and, and perhaps retain his, his job? Well, this is the, um, the fascinating uh, part of it, isn't it? Dan Quinn, who was hired in the first place by Atlanta as a defensive guru, um, the less involved he has been with <laughs> defensive play calling, <laughs> suddenly the better the defense looks. So yes, that that this was, you know, another second in two weeks, really impressive uh, defensive performance for... Um, um, I'm just flitting back and forth between defensive and defensive. Apologies, everyone. <laughs> what happens when you cover when you are both um, footballs? <laughs> exactly yeah. when you cover different uh, different versions of football. Um, when I go on, a, if I go on a, a, a show on Talksport that as a guest that I'm not hosting that is primarily a football show, and I fall into defensive, uh, <laughs> I am absolutely. I, I just my Twitter blows up. What did you say, yeah. you American? You That's it. I think I feel like we can get away with it, get away with it more this way around. You can get yeah. away with it more as. Um, uh, sort of an English native person yeah. speaking about American football. They NFL fans are more forgiving, aren't they? Exactly. So. Um, so yes, defensive or defensive, um, either way, the Falcons have been much better on that side of the ball since um, Dan Quinn uh, put more of the control in the hands of Raheem Morris. And um, it's, yeah, it's it's bizarre. I mean, it's it's almost sort of surreal how, how different they look on defense. Um, I think they were helped by some... Uh, very um, raw and inexperienced looking quarterback play from Kyle Allen. I think yeah. that perhaps some people need to take a step back on some of the assessments that were being made of him in recent weeks. Um, and, <laughs> I hold my hands up. Not only well, am I on the Kirk Kool-Aid, I was saying how composed he looked last week. But this yeah, week, yeah. I'm, and I'm with you. I think you know you look at the end of that game uh, against uh, Green Bay in Lambeau in, in the sort of freezing cold where they come up inches short of forcing overtime. And I think everyone thought, wow, what a mature um, quarterbacking performance um, from, from this, this kid to, to be able to to do that. But it, there were some really ugly, I mean, he threw four interceptions this game and some of them were really ugly, mm-hmm. um, just bad, bad throws. And yeah, maybe, maybe I feel like this last week, there's been so much sort of talk of um, Cam Newton on his way out being traded and, you sort of 
maybe want everyone in Carolina to take a step back for a second and, and remember that you're talking about, and maybe it's still the right thing to do because of injuries and uncertainty about whether he will ever be um, great again. But you're talking about trading a uh, a league MVP, um, mm-hmm. one of the, the sort of the, the really the the most talented quarterbacks in the league of the last few years for a kid who I don't know he's he's still he's still very much an unknown quantity for me yeah. in terms of what his potential is. Big time. I mean, even statistically, that's borne out. He's got a three to nine touchdown to interception ratio over the last four games. So after that terrific start he had where they went on a roll, uh, things falling back down to earth for Kyle Allen for the Panthers, who dropped to five and five. Uh, speaking of which, you mentioned Cam Newton. What about Ron Rivera? Because start of the season uh, with a losing record when Cam was under the gun and talk of, well, that could be the end for both of them in Carolina. Then Kyle Allen comes in, they win uh, a bunch on the bounce and are suddenly in playoff contention. That now reverses itself again. So is there a chance that, because there's a lot of discussion about change in the front office as well as with Cam and, and potentially with Rivera, it could be a, a you know, cleaning house in Carolina. Again, that one seems to swing backwards and forwards. I feel like we've talked about it three or four times this season, both sides of the argument. So which way is it going to go? Do you think Carolina can rally and get uh, a winning record on the board and, and Ron Rivera sticks around? Or are you, are you concerned for everything you just said about Kyle Allen that mm, it's going to be a, a long final few weeks of the season for them? I still think they can win games. I mean, again, Kyle Allen came very close to taking them to overtime at Lambeau Field. Um, Christian McCaffrey is the most sensational running back in the league at the moment. Um, they're five and five. They're not 0 and 10. They're still in the mix. Um, but I do think that if, if we see much more of what we got this weekend, if they do miss the playoffs, it does, it feels like an ending is coming for Ron Rivera. That's just sort of mm. my, my instinct, the way, the way it's sort of, uh, the way I've put, I'm perceiving it at the moment, it, it just feels like an era that's winding down. And that, that actually, um, I think you could make a case uh, that on paper it's, it's kind of harsh. You think that he's gone to uh, the playoffs with this team in four of the past six seasons, um, in three of those top of the NFC South. Um, at times he's done that despite Cam Newton um, not being fully healthy. Um, and even last season, it's a seven and nine team. It's not a team that was bad, but I think exactly as you've just put it, if, if this is the end of the Cam Newton era, then you have a, a hard decision to make about whether or not it's, it's, you trust the head coach to completely renew and reinvent a team. Um, and we talked about it again on, on the radio show yesterday, the fact of, of John Harbour and how he's done that in Baltimore and how impressive that is because it's rare. It's rare to find head coaches who, can not only sort of succeed the first time around with their first vision for a team, but can come to something completely new and, and start over. Because I think that's what this is now for Carolina. It's, it's a new identity. It's a new team. And very often, um, rightly or wrongly, but, uh, very often, I think in sports everywhere and certainly in the NFL, teams prefer to start with a clean slate in that situation. Yeah, okay. Watch that one closely. Uh, Carolina fans, be interested to know what Carolina fans want, actually. And we should maybe fire that out on, on social media, get Alex and the guys to uh, put the question out there. I'm keen to understand whether Carolina want a clean break with both Cam and, and Rivera or whether they uh thinking about that idea with uh, uh, with horror, thinking of what better the devil you know and all that. So, yeah, interesting. Uh, Nikki, great work. At Nikki Bandini is how our listeners can follow you on social media, right? That's right, yeah. Lovely stuff. Look after yourself. Thanks for dropping by and we'll check in with you soon. Anytime. 
Always great to catch up with uh, Nikki. Incidentally, on that Gronk story, uh, Gronk released over the weekend that he's got a big announcement he's going to be making. His, uh, his official line was, I have a big announcement to make. I can't wait to drop it on all of you. Uh, that is going to be Tuesday, 9 a.m. Uh, Eastern time, I'm assuming that is in the States. So by uh, the time that I and Mike and I are taking care of business on the Wednesday pod, we should know what the future holds for Gronk. Is it the back in the NFL? Is it the XFL? Apparently, he's going to let the Patriots know by the 30th of November if he wants to go back there. So there is a deadline of sorts and not a coincidental timing, I am sure. I wonder what that news is going to be. We will let you know, of course, as soon as we find out. Uh, right, let's move things on and get into the big story uh, not just for college football, but of course the implications it has in the NFL with the injury to Alabama's quarterback uh, Tua Tagovailoa with Ben Isaacs. Hey Ben, how are you? I'm good. How are you? All right, and thanks for hopping on quickly with the news uh, that Tua Tagovailoa done for the season. I mean, desperately sad news for him for for Alabama as well. Let's put it in in context first. So. Injured his hip, dislocated hip, as far as yep. I understand, in the Mississippi State game. Uh, out for the season, straight off the bat, what does this mean for his draft potential? A mock draft's already firing him out of the first round. Is this going to be a major concern for NFL front offices? Tell us more about what you think it will do for his draft stock. Um, I don't see any way that he can be drafted in the first round. He is such a risk right now because of this injury. There is a legitimate chance that he will not be able to play football next season. That's how bad this could be. Now there's, there was, there were obviously it was a very good, it's going to be a very good uh, draft for quarterbacks and Tua was still the de facto number one going into all this. But if you draft him in the first round now, you don't know whether you're getting him next season. You don't know if you're getting a player who is going to be anywhere near the player that he was. I mean, I, I would expect him to be picked in the second round just because of his talent. I wonder if a team that is already loaded, maybe a team with a quarterback that only has, say, three years to go before they think, right, they're going to be put out to pasture mm. and just get some guy in who you can, who you don't need to play next season. Like if you were, if you were, say, the Bengals or the Dolphins and you know you need a quarterback, it would be crazy to even take a risk on him in the second round. So it's, it's awful for him. Um, you know, financially, obviously this is going to cost him a hell of a lot of money, but it's, it could take away his NFL dreams. Okay. So a lot of discussion about whether he should have been playing in the game against Mississippi State or not, because of course it was a, he was a game time decision for yeah. a different injury, for an ankle injury, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, Nick Saban, the Alabama coach is playing this down saying, look, this is a freak injury. The two things aren't connected. Is there more to it that meets the eye there? Do you think that there is a, a significant a significant conclusion to draw that the reason that he hurt his hip was because he was banged up in the first place and wasn't playing in his normal way? No, I, I'm, with, I'm with Coach Saban 100% on this. Um, he will have been able to evaluate to her the whole, the whole week. He will have known that he was able to do the things he wanted to do. The ankle didn't seem to be um, a major problem. The SEC is a tough conference. Alabama had to make a statement win, a really good win after losing to LSU last week. It wouldn't have been enough to have in a backup and potentially scrape through against Mississippi State when all the voters would be looking at this thinking, oh, do you know what? Alabama and LSU, there's such a gulf. There's no way we can make Alabama a top four team. They needed to do that. And his plan was that Tua was going to play just the first half because they were so far ahead. They they let him back in 
at the end of the first half because they wanted him to have practice of a two-minute drill, which I think is completely sensible. And that was going to be, and that was going to be it. You know, you can't wrap your quarterbacks in cotton wool. You've got to, you've got to play them. And you've, you're playing against a team in Mississippi State that are a decent team that have beaten Alabama in recent years. It's, it's not, it's not a straightforward win. And it, I think it would send the wrong message to sort of take him out even in the first half, even if mm. you have got that, got that big lead. Okay, so final thing on tour, and then we'll look at what this means for the other quarterbacks that are eligible for the 2020 draft. Understood that we don't know this happened 48 hours ago. We don't really know uh, the extent of the long-term injury uh, status for him and indeed his rehabilitation specifically. But on the basis that it goes to plan and the rehab goes to plan – you're saying that at the moment what the, the medics are saying is there is a chance that he will be able to play in the NFL next season. If everything goes to plan now and we're talking, where are we, November, so uh, 10 months and change or whatever it yeah. is, for the start of next season, there's every chance he could play? Or do you think that what might happen is he'll get drafted, as you say, in one of the lower rounds because of what's happened, and the team that takes him on is most likely going to have to sit him anyway for, for the majority of the first season? Yeah, I I think it's more likely that a better team that doesn't need to start him straight away is going to pick him. Let's say just to just to throw it out there, let's say the LA Chargers picked him. You know that Rivers um has got a reasonably short shelf life right now. But he could be there. He could he could tutor Tua yeah. and you could have it that Tua doesn't have to um doesn't have to get on the field. Yeah. You simply cannot rely on him being able to do that next season. But for a team that's already set then it could be a very nice investment. It's still a roll of the dice. Yeah. You know what? Even, even a team, even a team like the Bears, who, you know, the thought is, is that they could potentially draft a quarterback in the second round. Why are their quarterbacks going so well? I, <laughs> but they could, you know, you could have, you could have, uh, Trubisky play next season. Um, he's still, <laughs> he's Bears. still under contract yeah. and have, and have to, uh, and have to, uh, sit there. This but, could play out actually, you know, and I'm not trying to put a, an unnecessarily optimistic positive shine on it, but you know, it could have, uh, a, a altogether happy ending for Tua insofar as maybe it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to spend your first year as a pro sitting behind, maybe not so much Mitch Trubisky, but, no. but Phil Rivers, you know. That, exactly. Look, like, at, look at Aaron Rodgers. You know, I mean, Aaron Rodgers didn't sit there because of injury, but he sat in the draft yeah. green for a long, 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 long time. Could he have, could he have gone to a better team for his circumstances? Yeah. God, no, it was absolutely perfect. Absolutely. Who knows how this will work out for Tua? Who's to say that he would have been um, drafted number one overall by the Bengals and been an absolutely fantastic player in a terrible situation? Who knows? So who do the Bengals look at now? Joe Burrow is a lot of well, more than I'm seeing. But there's also, of course, uh, Justin Herbert. He's shooting back up the draft boards. It has been anyway, because given uh, what you've been telling us about his, his play. But out of those two, I mean, I guess it's obviously situational, which front office thinks is the better fit for them. And assuming that the pecking order stays the same and the Bengals go one and the Dolphins, are, what, four or five, then is it between those two or is there anyone else that could emerge to throw their hat in the ring? I mean, potentially Jake from, um, or Jacob Eason, but I would say right now, the way the kind of buzz is around the draft, it would be Herbert and Burrow. A lot of people. What about Jalen Hurts? Um, I do really like Jalen Hurts. I just don't see him being the first quarterback taken. Hmm. Um, I think, I think it is at the moment a toss up with Herbert and Burrow. Personally, I would take, um, Herbert because because of his CV, all the things that he's done over a, over a longer period of time than Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow is the hottest thing in college football right now, but 
he's he's burning very brightly. You just don't know how long that's going to last. I think he's a very good quarterback. Is he necessarily a franchise quarterback based on what we've seen? I just I don't think there's enough film on him to make that conclusion definitively. And obviously every every time you're picking a quarterback at the at the you know the top end of the draft, you're rolling and rolling the dice. Justin Herbert to me feels like the safest pick. If I was the Bengals, that's who I would be kind of focused on right now. Okay, we will watch that keenly, and of course you'll be with us uh, all season long uh, as it plays out, and uh, we'll be building up to the draft, of course, uh, throughout the off season uh, right here. On the Nat Coombs show. Hey, uh, before we let you go, Benny, quick line on your Chicago Bears. Another uh, desperate <laughs> performance from them in, in prime time. So, uh, always I mean, good to, uh, always good to show off, uh, the collective skills of the Bears to, to the nation and to, uh, to the watching world. Um, I mean, first off, we've got to, we've got to really take NBC to task for not flexing that game out. You know, why <laughs> yeah. does NBC hate America? I think that's why would they force with, um, them to do that? I think it's something, someone was telling me there's something to do. You can't flex an LA game. I don't know if I was being pranked or whether there's, there's <laughs> some kind of contractual thing, but you can't flex a six o'clock game into the, into the Sunday night football slot, that's for sure. But it's something to do with flexing an LA game anyway. I'll, I'll, I'll oh. look into that and realize I'd be pranked. But yeah, so fair point. Um, even if it was a contractual obligation, they still should have found a way uh, to, to break yeah. out of that one. I mean, it was, yeah, and fair play and point taken. It wasn't just the Bears that contributed to that thriller. Uh, the Rams had plenty to answer for as well. But of course, they got the win and, and were better uh, yep, yep. by all accounts. So where does this leave you now? I mean, it's, I mean, we joked earlier on about got another year of Mitch Trubisky. But I mean, is it, is it he went out in the game and uh, there was a, an injury cited for that, but there's conspiracy theorists are saying, I don't know how injured he was exactly. Yeah, what's, I mean, what's going to go on there? I mean, the thing is, is that we know what Chase Daniel can do. We've, we've seen his ceiling and it's like, um, it's like the ceiling in uh, being John Malkovich. It's just very low. So there's only, so, there's only so much that I do we wonder need what Chase Daniel's ceiling at home is like. <laughs> He's got yeah. a giant face of Chase Daniel looking back at him. <laughs> well, I, I think, I think we know what Chase Daniel can do. And um, with, with Mitch Trubisky and Matt Nagy, we have to decide, was last season a fluke or is this season a fluke? Because the two seasons are so different, one of them seems like it's going to be out of character. I think the chances are there's going to be Trubisky and Nagy doing something next season. It's either going to be a really pleasant surprise or just the current putrid team that we're seeing right now. Or there's there's talk of Cam Newton. And that is really splitting opinion among Bears fans. I'm just about in the pro Cam Newton camp. I, I physically, I'm not entirely sure that he's going to be able to deal with the rigors. I mean, you know, he, he keeps being put on IR, but he is a very special talent. And apparently, he has sort of made overtures that he would be very interested in becoming a Bear. So I'm I'm intrigued to see how it how it plays out. But I think the safest option for them is Trubisky next season, drafting a quarterback. Uh, in the spring and seeing how that plays out. Cause I, I do not see Trubisky as being, I, d- I don't see this season as being the fluke. I think last season is the fluke. Okay. All right. Uh, we will watch that space keenly uh, as well. And yeah, I'm intrigued by the cam out of Carolina story. It's fascinating uh, to see where that one plays out. Uh, ben, this weekend, what is going on? ESPN play the big college games. Watch well, um, you probably don't want to watch Alabama without Tua because they're hosting Western Carolina and that's going to be really rubbish. But West Virginia um, hosting Oklahoma State, I think is going to be a real offensive um, showcase. It's going to be a lot of points. It's going to be a lot of fun. I want to see 
Michigan continuing their progress. They're playing at Indiana at 8.30. That should be really good. Also at 8.30, there's no playoff ramifications in this, but UCLA, USC is always worth watching, mm. even if even if they're not, even, neither team are ranked, but it's USC, UCLA, so it, it feels special. Yeah. Just very quickly on the Alabama playoff ambition, now two has gone down. Does this put them as real underdogs to make the final four? What's the, yeah, I think, I, I don't think it's impossible, um, because we are talking about Nick Saban, the, um, the greatest college coach of um, modern history. Um, if anyone can, if anyone can get a team that is having some problems through, it's him. And if LSU slip up, you know, which, and who's to say they won't, then they are still in a good position to, to do it. But the, the playoff committee will be looking at them now as being a much weaker team than they were finishing the LSU game because they know that they're going to have to do it with a backup quarterback. And even if they get through these wins, the playoff committee has got to decide, okay, well, will they beat the likes of Ohio State with a backup quarterback? And I think they're likely to say no. Um, LSU are playing Arkansas at midnight. Um, we'll see them continue to roll. The most intriguing game of the week for me is actually Oregon at Arizona State. That's at 12.30 on Saturday night, just because Oregon are the kind of, are the, we talked about it the other week, they'd lost against Auburn in week one. And ever since then, they've been rolling, putting together a very nice um, kind of body of work. Herbert just progressing, getting nicer and nicer and nicer. Oregon are currently uh, ranked six. We get new rankings um, tomorrow night. They are, they were a dark horse at the start of the season to do it. So I would say keep an eye on Oregon because they're the kind of trendy pick to sort of gate crash it right now. Okay. Lovely stuff, Ben. At Tweets from Ben is how you follow the big man on Twitter and of course a regular part of our show this season. So we'll be checking in with you very, very soon. Thanks, Ben. Thanks. Speak soon, guys. Fine work from Ben. Always good to catch up with him and indeed uh, Nikki Bandini. I'm Mike and I are back uh, Wednesday show. We're going to be recording that from the NFL Academy uh, and uh, we're going to be talking to a number of the people involved with it. Uh, we're going to release a separate episode for that uh, all about the Academy. Jerry Rice, the great Jerry Rice is going to be on hand as well. So we'll grab some time with him as well. So Mike and I back for Wednesday's show. We've got a jam-packed week of pods for you. Make sure then, if you haven't already, that you subscribe to the show or whichever your podcatcher of choice is. If you do that, you will not miss a trick. We're on social media as well, at the NC Show, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. A lot of chat goes on there. Bonus content as well, video content that we make, all kinds of good stuff. So give us a follow on there. And final bit of housekeeping, whether you listen to us on iTunes, whichever pod platform of choice, go and give us a review. You know why? It makes our sponsors happy. It makes ESPN happy. And most importantly of all, it makes Ollie and Harry, our producers, happy. And that makes me happy. So everybody's happy. We'll see you Wednesday with I'm Mike. Bye for now. Sports Social Podcast Network.